Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly and Amy and Kristen, and we are joined by a guest. We are so excited to honestly hear from, but also learn from today from his perspective. His name is Alma Ohene Apare, and you have probably seen his face if you've been following us on social media, <laughs> and I hope that you got to hear his message to the president of the United States this past week. So I don't know if you've been living under a rock, but (laughs) last week, uh, President Joe Biden gave a speech in a setting that, first of all, was, I thought, a bit alarming. We haven't even talked about this yet, girls, but it was set with the Marines behind him and the lights turned down and then this red backdrop and there was like blue on the outside. So I think they were trying to do the red and blue, but it really just looked on TV like red, like he was... Darth Sidious from Star Wars. Like it was, I mean, I don't know, Emperor Palpatine. I don't know, but it was so ominous that I think if you turned your TV on, you were like, whoa, what is happening? Not uplifting. No. No, it was, it felt evil. If I'm going to be honest, I was like, what is this? So it was a bit dramatic, but what was the most alarming? That was not actually the alarming part. The alarming part were the words that the president uttered. He did not talk about, we'll we'll get into this, I'm sure. He didn't talk about the most pressing issues on most Americans' minds, you know, inflation, things like that that are really pressing on us, Um, you know, what's going on in in the world. He, He talked about, I think what was mentioned more than anything, is that the greatest threat to our democracy, to him, this is his words, is MAGA Republicans. And when I heard that, and if you listen to the show, you know, Amy, Kristen, and I were, uh, I think Amy's still registered Democrat, but- I'm Chris, unaffiliated. Yeah. I'm unaffiliated. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we're all three, we're all three unaffiliated. And, but when we heard that, it was, oh my gosh, you just talked about half the country. Right. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's an exaggeration, but we know from the voting that happened in 2020, Joe Biden didn't win by a light landslide. There were a lot of people who identified as, quote, MAGA Republicans, or at least voted along those lines. And so we are we are literally kind of with our jaws on the floor when this face comes across, thank God for social media, goes across our screen. And that was Alma's face delivering a message to the president. And so before we really turn, we have so many things we want to talk to Alma about. I want to play for you what Alma said, just in case, just a clip from it, um, in case you missed it, because he, Alma does an eloquent, calm, Mm -hmm. 
job. <laughs> uh, you can find him at Willful Positivity on uh, on social media. He has gained 70,000, I think, new followers, but go follow him because he is positive. That's the, that's the amazing thing about his response is it's, it is intelligent. It's accurate and it's positive and it's calm. And so we're all taking notes from you, Alma, but here it is. Take a look. This is the reason many of us embrace the call to make America great again. It is because we believe our great nation is under a moral, fiscal, and spiritual assault. We are MAGA because we want to restore the promise in the hearts of our children that this is the place where their efforts will be rewarded and where their true potential can be realized. We are MAGA because we believe in freedom of speech, the freedom to exercise our religion. We believe in limited government and the rule of law. We are MAGA because we love the Constitution and believe our founders established a means for we the people to defend it from enemies, both foreign and domestic. I am MAGA because I want to be able to look into the eyes of my four black children to assure them that they're not victims, that they hold inside them what it takes to achieve anything they set their hearts on. We believe our leaders should put America and its interests first before any other nation. We believe our government should not saddle our children and grandchildren with insurmountable debt, chasing after a misguided idea of controlling or changing the course of the climate. Millions of us were horrified to witness what happened on January 6 and believe that justice must be served. But we also see through the attempt to paint all Republicans with a false moniker of insurrectionists and to conflate the genuine misgivings of those who feel disaffected and disenfranchised with an unfounded accusation that we are somehow against democracy. We are MAGA because we love law enforcement but doubt whether the Justice Department or the FBI can be trusted to deal fairly and impartially when they have given us clear and repeated evidence of their political bias against half of the country. As a new American, this November will be the first time I get to exercise my right to vote, a right I've waited nearly two decades to earn. I understand the urge during an election season to attack those you see as political opponents but Mr. President, I am not your enemy, and the tens of millions of MAGA Republicans are not filled with hate towards we And that is the point. We Most people who did not vote for Joe Biden are not racist. They're not hateful. They're not insurrectionists. They're not domestic terrorists. They're not domestic terrorists. They have core values they're holding on to, and and those core values you literally just mentioned. Right. So Alma, thank you for speaking up. You have to tell us, first of all, I wanna know, how long did it take you to put that together? <laughs> to um, articulate all that. <laughs> yeah, so actually my process is, is very simple and um, the words come to my mind and I, I just type it on my iPhone. And this probably took me anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, to put together because I kind of knew what I wanted to say and um, and as you saw I choose my words very carefully and there's a purpose to that because the goal is I look at everybody who listens to me as a potential convert to whatever it is I'm trying to say and so I believe that 
it is my responsibility not only to speak boldly and clearly, but speak in a way that allows even those who don't agree to recognize that what I'm saying is, is coming from a good place. And so exactly. that's, that's the approach. And I felt I needed to, to say something. And the bold part of it was actually addressing it to the president. And so as a new citizen, I mean, this is actually, you know, it took some guts to do that. And actually, um, and, and as soon as I posted it on, before I even posted it on um, other platforms, I actually put it on Twitter and said, did a direct message at POTUS and at the first lady to them first before I, I, I even posted it anywhere else, so. Wow, that's incredible. Well, it's good that you sent it. So have you gotten a response from them yet? <laughs> I'm just wondering. I'm sure, I am very sure that, you know, their handlers by now may have seen it unless they're living under a rock. Right, right. Well, I'm wondering too, you know, he backed, he, he this was so bizarre. And yet no one in the media is seeming to call him out for this. He gives this ominous speech he is very clear who he is. He said, MAGA Republicans. What is it the next day? He comes out and says, well, no, no, not all MAGA Republicans and not all Republicans are MAGA. And I didn't mean this and I didn't mean that. You know, these speeches are written well in advance. I know exactly. they're not written by him. They're not written by him. We know this, right? That's, I mean, every president has a speechwriter, but I even question his... I don't know where his mind is uh, and I'm not being mean. I'm saying I'm not sure where his mind is, but he delivered the speech and it was written for him in advance. And obviously multiple people looked at it to show the disconnect from his handlers, his influencers, whatever it is to show the disconnect that they thought putting that in a sitting president's speech to the country, not a campaign speech, not a campaign speech a speech to what is supposed to be every American and you immediately discount almost half of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that was what was so alarming to me. They mentioned MAGA. I think somebody wrote it down like yeah. 13 times in the speech um, and like inflation, zero, border, zero, <laughs> gas prices, zero. And I just- COVID, zero. COVID, zero. Um, he ran on the COVID platform, right. did he not for yeah. vaccines? I just oh, think it's shoot. so interesting. We're live. I know. Wow. Here I go. Sorry. <laughs> that you can take it. an acronym and just like MAGA, Make America Great Again, that they have taken just what is a simple acronym and demonized it. Exactly. To the point that now when you hear MAGA, it's it's bad. You know what I mean? And, and I'm like, wait a minute. Make America Great. Like, how like, is this bad? Yeah, just whatever happened, like, Trump when did that get it. bad? It's just interesting. For me, for me, the the sad part are the Republicans who are saying to themselves, I am distancing myself from this this term because right. the president has made it a you know a caricature of it, and I'm distancing myself from this term. And and so the question I ask myself is what if I, I decided to run for office and I come up with a slogan, and my slogan is restore American patriotism, rap. Yeah, <laughs> let's wrap. Let's restore American patriotism, right? And then you know, some consultant in the Democrat Party decides, you know, let's take that and let's tell people it has a secret meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, what can can they not take and distort 
you know, what language can we use that is completely, you know, uh, unifying that they wouldn't distort. So if we allow them to over, you know, take over this word and this, this particular phrase, then that means we're acquiescing the entire free speech platform to them. And anything we ever come up with, they can take and twist and say, this means something else. And the question I have from, for a lot of these people who are twisting these things, I ask them, why do you keep hearing dog whistles? Like, why is your mind attuned to hear dog whistles? Because the average person hears make America great again. And they're like, wow, that's, that's what we all want to do. Right. right. We want to make this country great. We want to make everything great. But if you hear something deeper than that, the question is, why are you so attuned to these dog whistles? Mm -hmm. How have you set yourself up to see things that are in the world that could be positive? And the first inclination is to try to find some hidden dark meaning that you can then use to distort what is being said. So, for instance, um, a few weeks ago, or I think a few days ago, I saw a video on TikTok and the person took a speech by um, the Florida governor DeSantis. And then they said, um, this is a speech where he was decrying wokeness. Um, and he said, take every time he says woke, just replace it with black and see how this message turns out. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, how do you take something somebody said completely distort it and then say, this is what he really means. So anytime he says, I hate woke ideology, this person is saying to people, just say, I hate black ideology. I'm like, how is this happening? And so I, there's a radical manipulation of language that is yeah. happening in our country today. Yes. And I think we need to stand against it because language is the way we communicate ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was just thinking, um, you know, a hundred years from now, if someone, you know, dug up his backyard and found a MAGA hat and he did some research and said, what does M-A-G-A -A mean? And then he sees it means make America great again. What is that person going to think? Are they going to think this is a racist dog whistle to some white supremacist ideal that somebody is pushing for? Or are they going to look at that and say, oh, interesting. People in the past also wanted to make America great, right? Mm -hmm. And so we cannot allow this distortion of language where people, you know, pundits, it's almost like a coordinated effort. They all come up somehow mm -hmm. and suddenly everybody's saying the same thing. You hear yeah. America first and people say, oh, that means, you know, racism. And I'm like, <laughs> how are you yeah, coming up like, with this? So when did it happen? Yeah. How are you coming up with these mental leaps? And one thing that I do um, very often is every time I hear something that somebody, um, some kind of political controversy, what I do is I ask myself, how would I feel about this if I were in Ghana, which is where I come from, and, and somebody was trying to do this? So for instance, um, just as an example, if I think about immigration, I say, okay, will I be okay if our border were, was open and Nigerians were flowing over to Ghana, will I be okay with that, right? And, and so by doing that comparison, I think for a lot of, especially immigrants, it helps them understand that, no, we wouldn't agree with this. <laughs> we wouldn't agree, we would be up in arms. And, and so that's one way that I use to kind of help me center what is going on. But I think we need to fight against the distortion of language. 
where good means bad and bad means good. And when you say I love you, somehow it means you're secretly saying I hate you. I well, that's the thing that we, and, and I'm so glad you're saying this, Alma, because it is part of when you said in your speech, we are under spiritual attack. I want our listeners to understand that is absolutely, you know, as Christians, for example, and we know not everybody who listens to us is, and, and but as from our faith, we have a scripture that says we do not war with flesh and blood. We war with the powers and the spirits and the principalities and against this present darkness. And one of the things that evil does, and, and the Bible is very clear about this, if you actually look up, I think it's the original Greek and Hebrew, but the, the word lie actually means to twist. So it's it's to actually take the original thing and twist it to try to make it look like something else. It's manipulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this is happening. It's like the devil, the devil appearing as an angel of light. That's it. And it is spiritual. And this has happened since the beginning of, of time, since the since the great fall, since devil fell from heaven, right? This, this thing that happened where this, there's an evil battle for mankind. And this is, this is where most faiths are rooted in this story. And this is happening before our eyes. And we think it's against each other, but what we need to wake up to is it's actually way deeper than that. And this twisting of language is a part of the strategy. Mm-hmm. So whether a man has the, or woman has the idea, let's change the definition of V-A-C-C-I-N-E. I, I hate to have to spell that, but we're live on Instagram. So they'll, they'll, they'll censor us off. If I, now they've changed the definition of that in the last two years. They have changed the definition of a woman. We don't know now how to define woman. A sitting Supreme Court justice did not know how to define woman. And this is where, what exactly what Alma's talking about, the twisting of language so that we no longer agree on what anything is, then how do you communicate and how do you advance as a culture if you don't have like a basis of agreement of what languages and what things mean? And it's, it's a real life Tower of Babel once again, it is. right? The twisting of language so that we can't communicate. We can't, even if we agree, Yep. We can't share that agreement because we're speaking a different language. Yeah, right. And that is a recipe for destruction because how do you communicate? How do you um, get people to join together in a cause if we can't agree on how we're speaking? And, and I think a lot of times um, as conservatives who don't want to be in other people's business for the most part, yeah. Um, we say, well, this doesn't affect me so much. And so it's not a big deal. And we let it go. <clears throat> but I think we have, this is something we definitely have to fight against and restore our language and the purity of our language. Now, language is supposed to transform over time, but that transformation happens organically. It happens organically and we change and we change our terminology and we create new terms and things like that. It is never forced on people and mm-hmm. and exactly what is happening today is people with a concerted effort to force language upon us and to make us feel and think something that is not there so mm-hmm. for instance we saw a lot of reports of people wearing maga hats who were attacked just right. because they were wearing maga hats and so we've created a world where saying make america great again is so triggering to half the country yeah. And even some Republicans, that is so triggering to them that they're willing to 
you know, cause bodily harm to other people because of it. If you're thinking about programming a person, just like you would a drone, that's exactly what that is doing. Yeah. And it's, it's basically letting people be outsourcing people's critical thinking to a think tank. Mm -hmm. Right. And so instead of them thinking and saying, this is how I feel when I hear the word, when they hear the word, you know, they look in their dictionary and say, okay, what does this mean? And they don't apply their own critical thinking to it. And so I, I think this is, this is a cause I want to take. And mm. my goal is to take these, these twisted terms and twisted words and things like that and restore them to what they really mean. And to help people understand that there's no hate behind it. And if you're going, you know, you're looking for a, a dog whistle, you're not going to find it. Because mm -hmm. seriously, I don't hear dog whistles. I don't. And that's, and, and, and just because not everybody's watching and they're listening on the podcast. I mean, obviously, Alma is a black man, okay, sitting with three white women. And we all agree. We all agree on what that what we have understood the MAGA movement to mean is not racist. Um, um, let me ask you a question too, um, because we find we try to normalize conversations on our podcast that we don't feel people feel comfortable having. Having, but but we need to because just as you said, if we're not communicating, we're not connecting, and we're not we're not moving right. And so, so one of the things that we don't always feel comfortable talking about is the racial divide because we sit here as three middle aged white women, you know, and how do we talk about the fact that we we see there's a victimization at hand of black people in America where they where they're trying to give them the victim label but that instead holds them captive right that instead enslaves them to a mentality that is actually not beneficial to them at all i have two questions one how did you escape that mentality and <laughs> and how do you see it as a black man in america so um the way I look at it is once again, I take it back to my country. So in my country, um, it's of course, majority black people. And so I say, do we have these kinds of divisions in our country? And what you will find is in a place where it's majority black, we still find ways to divide each other. And, and so in my country, you would find things, you know, like tribal differences, right? And so this doesn't happen so much in my generation, but in generations prior, it was very common for your parents to say, I don't want you to marry someone from that tribe, right? And so this is a human condition. Mm. Humans, humans um, you know, group themselves and separate themselves into groups based on their own personal interests and so on. And this is a human condition. And what we're trying to um, do is to figure out how to break out of that natural man, right? Because right. the natural man is an enemy to God, and we need to break out of that natural man and become basically a child of God and see everybody else through that lens. Yes. And so this is something that exists everywhere else. So first, that is the lie that we tell ourselves that this is unique to America. It's not. It's in every society. There's always divisions. And if color is not the difference, people will find other things to divide yes. each other about. And so that's that's the first important thing. So America is not unique. So in understanding that America is not unique, then what do we do today to deal with these kinds of situations? And for me, that's where I say I choose willful positivity. And what I mean by that 
is that I can't control everything that is going to happen in the world. Okay. And so to the extent that there's racism in America, the way I look at my life is I am going out there and I'm going to put out my best effort. And anybody who doesn't like it because of the color of my skin, that's their problem. It doesn't affect me. There are multiple thousands of people who are willing to support and willing to, to aid and help and abet whatever it is I'm doing without any concern about what I look like. And so why do I have to burden myself with you know, the, the, the mental shackles of somebody else's closed mind? Mm. Right. Why do I have to burden myself with that? And so I am living my life and I'm not going to allow somebody else's prejudices to affect me. And that's the kind of idea I hope um, people can embrace. Um, people of all colors and of all backgrounds is the idea that many of these things, even though we want to eradicate them by, by virtue of the fact that we are human beings who are flawed, we're going to have some level of these kind of vices in our community. Mm -hmm. And the question now is how do we live beyond those vices, right? How do we thrive beyond those vices? And so my message to anyone is that I, I get that you feel, you feel a certain way. Now, one way that I, I described it is I recently got um, one of those VR headsets mm -hmm. and there's this game on it um, called the Plank Experience. And what it does is it allows you to walk the plank and, and from your perspective, right? You are looking down and it feels like you are up 10 stories. Yeah. Now, what I learned as I watched my children go through this experience was five minutes before that, they knew the ground was solid and they could trust walking on the ground. But then they put on this headset and suddenly, even though I am outside this experience and I am telling them, hey, the ground is still solid. You can still walk safely. What they're seeing through those glasses, telling them something completely different, right? And so what I think is the beginning of that conversation is not to dismiss what people think they're seeing. Because in that moment, if they're having, they have those glasses on, they are seeing something completely different. And the fact that we can see that, you know, it is not real, the ground is still solid, it has no bearing on them. And so the next step is we need to help people figure out how to take off those glasses. And the mm. way we do that, I believe, is to take people outside of those experiences, you know, expose them to things that are different. My parents mm. always had uh, private schools growing up. And one of the experiments we did was, could we take a kid who was failing completely in the middle of you know, the, some village in Africa, bring them into one of our schools with a scholarship and then see what happens. And every single time we did that, within less than a year, their ambitions will change. Their goals and outlook on life will change. What they believe they could do would change. You know, when you would ask them what they wanted to be, that would completely change because we took them out of that environment mm. and, and brought them to a place where they didn't have those glasses on any longer. And so I think it starts with first acknowledging that what people might be seeing is real to them. Mm. We can't just dismiss it, right. right? And our goal is to work with them to a point where they can you know, begin to see that, hey, the ground is solid over here. 
You know, it's okay to walk over here. It's okay to try this thing that, that is new. And, and when more people begin to see success doing that, it becomes contagious because they go back home and say, it is really solid. I went over there. I did not sink. There were people who supported me. When I fell, they were, you know, on my left hand and on my right hand. And, and the angels were with me. And that's the kind of message we need to be sending. So yeah. one of my challenges with the, the Republicans is the, is the fact that um, even when you find Democrats who are um, disillusioned by the Democrat Party, we have a brand that makes it difficult for those Democrats to say, I'm going to vote Republican. Because a lot of times we try to get to the solution without understanding that there is a process that people have to go through in order to see what we're seeing. And we have to be willing to do that work and we have to be willing to have the patience necessary to help them break those you know, boundaries that they have believed exists for a long time, mm. right? And so we need to communicate in a way that is not dismissive of people's experiences. We need to be able to you know, speak to their hearts and then help them by holding their on to them and holding their hand and help them get to the point where they can see as we see. And mm. then when they do, more people will believe them because they will be the advocates of that transformation. Yes. Right. That is the best yeah. analogy I've ever heard. Truly. Mm. Truly. I mean, it is with the, with the virtual with the, reality yes. classes. Because there are so many times I've said that I feel like there are two different worlds living on the same planet. Yes. Like I, what I see and what people that I know see, it is completely where we are living two completely different lives. Well, we've yeah, talked about right. this before where when you see people who are living, we've talked, we talk about fear a lot and, and fear is real to people, but it's because it, in our eyes, like they don't know the truth or the facts, you know? So when you're living in fear, they, and so I do feel sorry for people who are still wearing a mask by themselves in a car or on a boat outside, like, and they're alone. I, I am, you're, you first want to be like, what are you thinking? But then you're like, they have to be so scared and they're in that, that is the fear that they are living in though. And you've even talked about if, if somebody watches one particular news station, or if they are only watching one, they're only getting, and they've even done polls where it's like the different sides, whichever mainstream media station you're watching, that's the truth you're going to believe. And it is so, so widespread. Like, do you think this is going to kill you? Or do you, what's, what do you think is the biggest crisis? You know, so it is, it is such a process. You're right. And it's like, it's almost like, what is going to be that little light bulb moment? And, and it's that cognitive dissonance, but that is the, that is their truth that we, and, and I don't want to say that like, we are right and we have the truth, but I feel like we have to just step back and look at, let's step back no matter what it is and look at the facts. Right. But that's the important part though, because right. yeah, you don't want to be like, well, I'm all right, because obviously no one's no. the market on being right on everything. However, the truth is the truth. And what united the three of us, Alma, was the pursuit of the truth, right? So we came from different political backgrounds, but the pursuit of what was true united us, we could agree on, well, that's, that's what appears true. And it does take you taking your cognitive dissonance and laying it down, questioning yourself, what about what I believe may not be right? But we now live in a world where the truth is subjective. It goes back to that vocabulary, right? Which the, your truth and my truth 
can be two different things. And, and it's still the truth. <clears throat> we got to stop that too, because that's not reality. Because just to use your point, when you put on the virtual reality glasses, that's not the truth anymore. The right. truth is when you take the glasses off. And I've done that. I've done that game. And Alma, I'm, I'm a pretty strong headed girl. And I'm going to tell you, I put that thing on. And my biggest thing is heights. I was paralyzed literally for, for it took me mental coaching myself really well to take a step out. I was literally like this. So I understand exactly what you mean. The brain starts to send messages to you that says danger you know, I'm afraid. And what happens when you're afraid? Your brain turns off, all your critical thinking skills go away, right? right. So, your analogy is perfect. Such a great analogy. It's so Absolutely true. And it perfect. shows you how powerful <clears throat> the brain is and how kind of crazy, scary, and easy it's manipulated, <clears throat> right? Yeah. You know? One, yeah. One thing I, I, I was th just thought about is imagine you're going on a voyage and you, let's say, on an expedition, and you know they're going to be dangerous along the way. Are you going to pick people that look exactly like you, or are you going to look for a diverse team with different skills, with different ways of thinking, with different ideas, right? And so I think um, in, in my ideal world, I, I don't imagine a country where there are no Democrats. Like that's not my ideal world, no. ideal world no. right? That's not the goal and that should never be the goal, No. right? We have to understand that there will be diversity and there will be yes. people who think differently and we need people who think differently. What yes. I think we need to change is the idea that if you think differently, then you have to be eliminated from the public square, that's right. right? That's what we have to change and return to, hey, I wanna hear your idea and I want to um, evaluate it critically and then maybe we can make some adjustments as needed. If this country returns to thinking about ideas rather than personalities, then we will be heading in the right direction. Yes. But right now, a lot of people, yesterday I saw a clip of um, uh, one co a popular conservative host who was speaking at a college and someone was protesting him. And so um, someone was outside and, and interviewed this kid and asked him, like, why are you here? Like, why are you protesting? And he said, you know, do you know the person who's speaking? Nope, I don't know him. How, so why are you here? I saw a poster. And have you listened to this person before? No, I haven't. Have you heard anything I said? I just assumed from the poster that he's probably said some terrible things. So and then the person asked him, so if you go into this hall right now and this person is sitting down, would you be able to point them out? And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm probably just going to shout at the person who is at the podium. And I'm like, how is this possible? How do we get to this point where people can be so disconnected from their critical thinking that they will just see a poster and go and pick at somebody without ever wondering. Right. And, right. and the funny thing, and, and, the, and, and the more crucial thing is the fact that they have in their pocket a device that could give them the information they need but they don't even have the inkling that before I do this thing, maybe let me check it out. Let me just Google for two minutes to see who this person is and whether holding that sign is something I actually believe in, right? Wow. And so, like I said, we are outsourcing our critical thinking to think tanks and they are hurting people like sheep and letting them, and they, whether this is happening on the right or the left, it is not right. 
what we need to do is teach people to make critical decisions, <laughs> teach people to, to think critically and apply those critical thinking skills in their daily lives, in everything that they do. And, and I think that's what is missing. So I'm hoping that one day we can come to a point where both Democrats and, and Republicans can say, we want to make America great again. Yesterday, actually, a friend of mine sent me a clip. They went and dug through the archives and found a speech by Clinton, um, President Clinton, that said, make America great again. <laughs> hey, that's amazing. And I was like, <laughs> we need exactly. That. <laughs> so exactly. So I have, I have a link to that. Yes. Uh, I, I could share with you. But yes. exactly. And you're and, like, and, and it shouldn't. Is, every now and then when Biden speaks, he you you find every now and then I've, I've heard it a couple of times where it's like make America great, and then he would change the last word so that it doesn't end up being again. MAGA. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> and, and again, so, it's, it's the manipulation of words and demonizing words to push people away so you don't want to admit what you really believe, which then silences one side, right? It, it, it's, and we need, as you said, both voices. We need diversity of thoughts and opinions. That's what our whole podcast mm -hmm. is about. It is that we, we want to hear a diverse, diversity of thoughts, opinions, ideas, because we believe that's what has made America great historically. And it is what can propel us forward. And that's one thing that has kept people from, like, you know, when, uh, the, the diversity of thought and, and diff people having differing ideas and being just not allowed to speak. One of the things that's caused that to happen that I've seen um, that my eyes have been open to is just the um, lazy application of really horrible um, labels. Name calling, yeah. Name calling. <laughs> Racist, bigot, transphobic, homophobic, mm -hmm. fascist. Right. These terms are, you know, should be reserved for true situations where, because these things all exist you know, in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. However, when you take words like racist, homophobic, and fascist, and you throw them around like Skittles at a parade, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, first of all, nobody knows what any of that means anymore at this point, because right. <laughs> it's used so much, but that keeps people afraid mm -hmm. from speaking their truth because right. You never know what somebody might call you. Right. And that's really dangerous and scary too. And some people you've got to, you've got to be prepared for that. When you start speaking out, I knew the first time I even put anything out there that you would, you're going to get something, even if it's just straight facts, because they're going to attack the character. We always and say, you, you know, can't attack the fact like, they attack the character. In your right? core, in your heart, <laughs> in your soul, you are not that person. And a lot of people speaking out about things, they are not that person, mm -hmm. but they are labeled as that person and then they had they shut up because mm -hmm. that's the worst thing that you can do is be called something like that that nobody wants that you know what right. I mean I, well, I think one one thing that is important is um to reduce the impact of the name calling you first have to look into your own life and make sure your life is in order right because mm -hmm. if you're living a double life you you set yourself up to be found out, to be, to be found out as a hypocrite or, so you need to first fix the things in your life. And if you have made mistakes, own up to those mistakes and, and then cleanse yourself and your life of any of those past mistakes. 
so that you can speak clearly and not be held hostage to something that you may have said. And so one thing that I've always said to people I meet is I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow. Yes. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm learning every day. And if I get new information, I reserve the right to come back and say, hey, I made a mistake and um, I'm changing my thought on this because I've seen it a little differently. That's and right. we have to be able to allow for that in yes. society. Right. Yes. And one person who commented on one of my uh, videos said, um, oh, it looks like he, he was, he's been on Facebook since 2008 or, or something like that, 2009, but there are no tweets until, you know, 2020. <laughs> and, it, and I was like, well, good. <laughs> and, the, and the reason I, I say that it's, and once again, I've always been a positive person. So you, I, there's nothing that I've written that I would say that I'm ashamed of, not at all. Mm -hmm. um, however, once again, I will not allow myself to be used as a tool where people will take what you've said and then manipulate its context mm. just to push a certain narrative, right? right? And so you have to kind of prepare yourself and your life in such a way that you can stand by what you say. And if you've made changes, you can say, I have made these changes and I'm a different person because of it. That's right. And, and I, I, that's, we shouldn't be held hostage by the skeletons in our closet. No, no, because nobody's got it right, right? Like everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. And all you have to do is say, hopefully we're all growing from our own mistakes, mm -hmm. from the things that we once believed that we now realize weren't right or, or things that we said that we wish we hadn't or done that we wish we hadn't. But we live in this cancel culture where everybody's so afraid that if you have not lived a perfect life, you're going to be canceled. Newsflash, everybody should be canceled based on the fact that nobody's perfect. Yeah, let's make ownership and accountability cool let's, again. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's just, again, let's agree that cancel culture is not good for anyone because no one could stand. No right. one could stand. But we have to ask you, Alma, because I know our time is closing, but I, we have to know, number one, what brought you to the United States? Number two, it took you 18 years to get citizenship here in the United States, will you tell us as we're looking at our border crisis in the South, which I always think is interesting, why don't we have a border crisis in Canada? I don't know. We have it down South and I'm dead serious when I say well, like- they, Christy did say that it is in the North too. Yeah, they just they don't do. talk they about just, it yeah. as much, but- Okay, but, okay. Yeah. good to know. I know my friends who are Canadians that just moved down here, went through a thousand hoops to cross. Right. I'm just gonna say that. So um, anyway, uh, we talk a lot about immigration, the challenges of immigration. I love that you mentioned in Ghana, you wouldn't have wanted all the Nigerians coming in, in in droves into Ghana because you understood that would be very problematic for Ghana, right? To have that influx of people. So help us understand why you came here in your immigration process. <laughs> well, so I would say my journey to America was um, started long, long before I came to Los Angeles in 2003. Actually, my mom was the first one to come to America when she was a teenager. She lived in upstate New York. And, and so she, um, after she, she basically spent the last year of high school in the US. And so when she returned home um, and got married and had, our, you know, had her first kids, she always told us about America. And so we had pictures of my mom in America. Um, and, and so that's something that we always kind of admired. And then in 1989, my dad had the opportunity to come to America as well. And he was also in Los Angeles. 
and he came home with pictures of Disneyland and and you know SeaWorld and and so many other things like that. And for me, what that did is that it planted in my mind that there is a place where I can do things that are different, things that I can't do here, however long I stayed. And I said, I want to be able to go somewhere where I can do something. And so for me, I look at it as, you know, I am looking, I was looking for the opportunity to touch my proverbial dolphin at SeaWorld, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted that opportunity because I did not want to be um, stymied by the, I would say the infrastructural and socioeconomic boundaries that my country of birth placed on me involuntarily, right? And so my dreams seemed to be a little bigger than the opportunities that I saw ahead of me. And I wanted to take that, take that opportunity to go somewhere where my dreams, I did not have to curtail my dreams to fit mm. what was possible. And so that's something that I always had. And my parents, um, you know, wanted me to come here, but something happened. Um, I actually graduated high school at 16 and, and I wanted to come to the U.S. Uh, right then. I applied to college. I took the SATs and my parents were like, you're 16. I, like, we're not going to let you go <laughs> across the ocean to a country. And, but my dad said something at the time. He said, the reason we're not letting you go is because Americans are very independent and they're going to expect you to be independent, to be able wow. to take care of yourself. And you're still a kid. And so when you gain some independence, then you can go to America. And so I waited two years um, and I tried again. And in the meantime, because my parents owned private schools, they actually hired me to work in their school. So I became a teacher at the age of 16 oh, and started teaching computer skills and English to kids from K to ninth grade. And that's how I started. And that's how I learned to speak clearly. And you know, I, it's a talent, I believe, but also I learned to hone that talent while I was teaching. And then, and, and, and with that also, because I was teaching kids, I had to always use analogies to explain what I was trying to do. And that also helped me along the way. And so in 2003, I finally had the opportunity to come to the US. And I remember that day as I was sitting in a plane and, and just thought about this lifelong dream of coming to America. And I, I just raised my hands and, <laughs> and I said, wow, this is happening. I'm going to America. And I remember landing in Los Angeles and I'm like, wow, I'm here and funny thing. The first thing I thought it was in May. Um, the first thing I thought as I walked out of LAX was, man, this is cold. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was cold. Like my, I had never had the sensation of my legs being cold ever. Oh my God. And so that was just the weirdest feeling. And for three months, I had like a trench coat and gloves and a hoodie <laughs> and everything. But um, my journey to, um, becoming a citizen actually um, started in 2013. And the reason I say that is when you come to America, there are different visa types. And some of the visas are designated as non-immigrant visas. And what that means is those visas have no path to citizenship. And in order to get those visas, you have to prove 
that after the visa expires, you will return to your home country. Okay, so all student visas are non-immigrant visas. And so as a student, I had a visa that said you have to leave at, you know, after your school is over. And so um, in order to start on a path to citizenship, you have to change that visa. You know, one of the easier ways is to marry an American. <laughs> um, I didn't go that route. My <laughs> wife is from Ghana as well. And so I had to find some other way. And, and for me, it was through education and employment. And so by being hired by Microsoft, they put me on that path. Um, and because they gave me, they helped me get um, a work visa, which is known as a dual intent visa, meaning that you can want to immigrate with that visa. And then the next step is to get your green card, which also requires a company to sponsor you. And once you're sponsored, and you get a green card, the process takes, depending on the country of origin, it could take anywhere from you know, two years to you know, 10 years or more for some other countries. And so in my case, it took two years. And then after you get your green card, then you have to wait five years before you can apply for citizenship. And so by the time it was all said and done from 2003 to 2021, that's 18 years where, every point in that 18 years, I wanted to be American mm. and I couldn't, right? And I was paying taxes. My, my, my kids were born here. I had four kids who were born here. I've bought homes here. I've started companies here, but I couldn't be American. Mm. And I waited and I was glad when the day finally came. So what happens after you apply for citizenship, like then that five years, like what happens in that process once you get to the point where you can actually apply for it? Do you take- Okay, so usually, like so once you get your green card, like I said, it takes five years, but 90 days before that five-year mark, you can start your application for citizenship. Okay. So you start, the, they call it the naturalization um, application. So you start that process. And it's basically right now, they really actually streamlined that part. It's all online. I didn't have to hire a lawyer at all. I just went online, I fill out the forms and I uploaded my documents and they started the process. Um, through that process, you also have to go and do fingerprinting. So they will, ten, they call it a 10 print. They will uh, fingerprint you, they'll do a background check. They'll make sure you don't have, you don't owe any taxes. All, they'll make sure a lot of things are in place They'll look at your history, have you broken any laws, and so on and so forth. And then after you're cleared of all that process, then you go for an interview. And this is a nugget from my interview. I've never shared this, I think, um, I, only in my small social network, which is the fact that I went to that citizenship interview and the person who interviewed me was an immigrant from Ghana. <gasps> no. Imagine that. Wow. Who came here at the age of 16? And I was like, this is full circle. Wow. You know, this I is full it. circle. And, and so I was, I was just completely flabbergasted. And so we ended up, you know, after the interview was over, we ended up talking about Ghana and, <laughs> and some of the happenings over there. And I thought, what an amazing thing that we have a country oh. that can give this kind of opportunity to people. And, and we can all come full circle to have a Ghanaian you know, former Ghanaian who is now ushering me, a new Ghanaian, a Ghanaian into American citizenship. Oh. And I thought that was a and serendipitous so and awesome. 
to be a citizen, you have to know things, right? Like you're taught <laughs> our history, right? And like the interview process, I don't know what they ask you, but I'm super curious. So like actually, um, so you have to, um, there are I think about a hundred questions that span from constitutional questions to you know questions about um, like your senators, who are your senators, who are your house representatives, that kind of thing. So it, it has history as well about you know the constitution when the constitution in independence was declared you know the ratification of certain amendments and so on and so forth so you have all that you study all that however when you get into the actual questioning process they only ask you 10 questions and you have to get six of them right oh and so that's so failing you, you study, that's 60. <laughs> <laughs> you study everything Right, you study all this stuff, so you learn a lot in the process. And right. I knew most of the stuff anyway because I was studying them on my own. So for me, it was not a big deal. But I got in there, and because you only have to get six right, if you get the first six, they don't ask you anymore. Right. So, yeah, you know more than most Americans. Uh, yep. Well, we need. Like, we all need these classes. Yes. We <laughs> and American, all the people crossing the and border, and surely currently. more than the people crossing the border. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, assume anything, but <laughs> we, we do need Americans to retake those classes and to know who their senators are and to know the democratic process and to know the constitution. I'd love to hear it. I'd love a refresher. It is, it's important. It's so important. It's online. You can download an app that has all those questions. So oh. maybe you can give a challenge to your yes. uh, listeners to say, hey, yeah. everybody yeah. go download this app and see how you do on the citizenship test. I and love it. An app, you need to tell us something about an app you've got. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of app, and I, that's because I, one of the things you said in your speech was you said, I want my children to be in a place where their efforts will be rewarded and their true potential can be realized. And yeah. we know that is your heart. You're an entrepreneur at heart and um and also a writer an incredible writer obviously and that is your god-given gift i know you're going to write a book we are cheering for you to write that book yes. but you have an app so tell us a little more about what you're doing personally Alma. awesome awesome so i've started multiple companies but this is the first one that actually got a little bit of funding and so um the name of the app is unstuck and it is spelt u-n-s-t-u-q unstuck now, the purpose of the app was um, someone came, my, actually my little brother came to me and said, I, I see this meme going around, which is how women make decisions about where to eat. <laughs> and, and, and so this, this meme was going around where it's like, you know, men are like, I'm going here. And then the women are like, um, I don't know. And, and you have all this back and forth and so on and so forth with indecisiveness. And so I'm like, there are so many different solutions for big decisions, but what about the little decisions? Like you're sitting on your Netflix screen and you're trying to decide what to watch. Oh my gosh, family movies are the worst. Exactly. <laughs> or you're planning a family vacation and you want to decide what activities to do on that vacation. And so we took all those ideas and said, what if there was an app, kind of like Tinder, where I could put a group of my friends together and anytime we needed to make a decision about where to eat, what movie to watch, what thing to buy for somebody's birthday, or you know what hotel to stay at on our trip, 
Like mm -hmm. I could just go in there and one person can start the process. So the way it works is you go in, you say, hey, we want to match on a restaurant. I pick the restaurant. Um, I pick, you know, what we're craving. So let's say we're craving barbecue and we're in, you know, Dallas, Texas. So we put that in there. And then you say, how many minutes am I giving everybody to make this decision? 15 <laughs> minutes, you need to make a decision. Then I send it to my group of friends. And then once I send it, everybody gets a notification on their phones and they all have to make that decision together. So even if you have someone who is shy, who doesn't want to speak up, in this case, we're not telling anybody what anybody chose. So they can confidently pick what they want. And then the, the app has an algorithm in the back that looks at a lot of things. So we look at which one did you pick first? You know, what order did you pick? We look at everything and put it together. And then we say, here's your match. This is where you're going. That's and awesome. so everybody's on the same page. Nobody feels like their ideas were not considered. And it gives you the location and the business you're going to. So, and you can do that with, not just restaurants, but with movies and TV shows. And you can do that with um, anybody who's date ideas. Decisions that like me. Well, <laughs> this is what I'm going to say, Alma. Do you have to have it to where it's a group? Because Kristen could use it just on a personal level. Like, <laughs> so there's solo as well. So when you go in there, can I can have some random solo. people in there? <laughs> you can say solo, right? And when you say okay. solo, then okay. what it will do is it will give you a spinning wheel. Okay. And you will spin the wheel. That sounds like me. One. I'm like, yeah. Look, I overthink. Like, I know I we say just that. think, but I overthink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> yeah. Awesome. So the app actually went viral on TikTok a couple of years ago, and we were able to get to 100,000 users. Wow. And right now we're looking for, you know, to get it out there as much as possible and looking for investors as well. So this That's is um, something I think would help people. And I, I, and I, that is my goodness that I'm putting out into the world. So yes. love it. Well, it's not just all that. kinds of goodness. It's uh, not. Yes. Let me tell you, and Alma, you keep talking on your social channels because as, as long as they don't censor you, which you are at risk of that happening now. Um, talk, talk, can I say one quick thing about yes. censoring? Yes. So I see problems. I see the world. When I go into the world, I see the world as problems that need to be solved. Right. Yeah. And and so as I go out, I see problems. And my first instinct is not, you know, who someone should solve this problem. My first instinct is, can I solve this problem? Right. And so this idea of cancellation, especially in TikTok, I've had, you know, followers that I love, you know, just get their accounts banned for no reason. And because of that, I said, you know, right now, when you go onto these social media platforms and you amass all these followers, you don't control the communication with your followers, it's all decided by the platform and the platform can take it away any moment. Mm -hmm. And so we need to shift away from that model and get to a place where the followers are subscribing to you. And I know some platforms are doing that, like, you know, Substack yes. and Patreon and so on. They're subscribing to you. But the main thing that I thought was important is that you need to have the contact information of your followers so that if you're ever canceled, you can just blast an email Yes. to your followers to say, hey, I just got canceled on TikTok or I just got canceled on Twitter. This is how to reach me now. This is my new location, right? And so I actually, three weeks ago, actually four weeks ago, I decided to take on this problem. And because I'm a technology guy, I built a solution in three did weeks. Did you build that? Uh, you I built did. it? Oh my gosh. So I called, didn't know you did it, but I filled followers. it out. <laughs> you should go check it out. It's called keepmyfollowers.com. 
Oh, I did see. And, I pulled it out for you. I filled it out for you, Alma. When I found exactly. it, I clicked on it because I didn't want to lose you. It, it was I need it because it's probably about to happen to me. Well, I literally <laughs> thought if if they take okay. him away, if they take him away, I want to find him. So yeah. I filled it out. Okay, go ahead. Explain that. Sorry. Exactly. So that's I, I, I found a solution. I just want to say that's the American spirit. And mm -hmm. when we, we, we're talking about making America great again, I wish every child will wake up and see themselves as the solution to yes. the problems they see yeah. in the world. That is where I want us to get to yes. that idea that I am not going to be a victim of my circumstances. I have the ability to be able to go and make a difference where I think a difference is needed. And so that's what I exactly what I did. I used my skills. And in three weeks, I, this was a, man, a one man job. I put that website together. And so, and I wanted to be available to everybody. And so it's not about money for me because I'm literally charging $1.99 a month. That's it. Just to have access to this platform, nothing else. And so that people can maintain that connection with their followers so that we can keep free speech alive. Because if tomorrow, you know, the government decides that they want to ban TikTok, yeah. <laughs> then we should still have a place where we can reach our, our, our followers. That's right. That's right. And, and, and one of the things you did say to your followers, you actually confessed that one of your dreams has been to write a book. And honestly, just sitting here talking to you, Alma, we'd, we'd read your book because we're fascinated oh, by your, but not just your story, <clears throat> your perspective, your willful positivity and the way that you see the world in such a way that is proactive and good, you know? And um, so, but tell us a little more, are you going to write the book? Actually, so I was in the process of writing the book before all this blew up. And so the only thing I'm trying to do right now is accelerate it. Um, so yes, um, I started the book uh, a while back. Um, the title for the book is American Privilege, the, an immigrant's perspective on the privilege of becoming American. So that's the title. And what I hope to share is kind of go back to where it all began and to my history and, and to the fact that I grew up for the first 16 years of my life, I only knew one president because, mm -hmm. you know, part of that I lived under a military dictatorship, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what that meant, you know, and the fact that for instance, there was a time when the government actually banned the church that I attended for a year and a half and we were not allowed to go to church for a year and a half. And so when you come to a place where, you know, you hear people say, Oh, we're not free here, and this, and this, and that. Uh, I, I say, well, <laughs> you are as free in America as your mind allows you to be. Woo! And so, if you don't yes. feel free, then there is something that has to be changed in your thinking, and and, and sometimes it takes a little bit of help for you to begin to see that. And my goal is not to denigrate people who don't feel free, but to show them the way and to, to be that torch that says, you know, follow me, I figured out the way, you know, and let's, let's go be free together and let's go change the world, right? Oh. And, uh, and you're doing it and you're doing it. You're doing it because- Out of love and compassion and positivity. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Alma- Honey catches more flies than vinegar, so. That's right. let's, let's catch more flies. And, and we're trying, we are really trying over here to do that because we do want to make a difference. We do want to help people. It really, all of this, this whole podcast was birthed 
out of a desire to help people, to help them not, not agree with us because we actually don't want that. If we're wrong, then we want to find out what's right, right? So it's, it's not about conversion to any kind of, um, you know, one of the, we, we posted your video and one of our great listeners that we love said, you know, thanked us for your video. Thanked you for what you were saying, but then said, made a comment like, well, thank you girls for, for, you know, standing for conservative values or, or it was something around like that we had a conservative platform. And I said, hold on, we actually aren't trying to be conservative. Mm-mm. We actually are trying to present what's true and right and wholesome and good and bring facts and receipts for what we share. And if that falls left, right, or center, we don't really care anymore because we're not tribal, right? We, we've, we've let go of our own tribalism over things and make an intention to do that. Because I do think, Alma, human nature, I believe, does want to kind of stick with what is familiar and comfortable. And you see mm-hmm. it in the animal world. You look at chickens. My sister raises a variety of chickens. Guess what? When a new chicken comes in, it sticks with the chicken it looks like. This is this is nature. There's something comfortable about you. We are the same. So let's birds of a feather flock together, right? That's where that comes from. So there's a nature, there's something in nature that wants to stay with same, but it's exactly what you said at the beginning. We have to make the intention if we're wise, we intentionally find the diversity and we link arms with it because that's how our whole culture and our whole communities can grow and get better. Right. We're not stuck and, in the echo chamber. And that's why I, I've set up a campaign basically to make America great again, because I believe that is a unifying phrase yes. that can allow us to transcend the differences that we see. If our goal is to make America great again, it means that we look, rather than looking um, outward and looking at what people are doing differently, we look inward and say, how can I contribute in a positive way to make America great? Because America is great, not because of our government. America is great because Americans are good. That's right. We need to find a way to destigmatize MAGA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, um- yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be staying in touch following your journey and we'll have you back on because I think, again, we can learn so much from your perspective and we want that diversity of perspective and also the truth and the way that you deliver it with your willful positive. You guys go follow him. Where are you? Instagram, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. Is that right, Alma? So right now I'm everywhere. So I'm here to get on Rumble. But um, I'm on uh, Facebook. You can search for my name or Willful Positivity. Um, I'm on Twitter with my name and then also on Instagram and TikTok with Willful Positivity. And then if you want to support the book, I don't have a publisher. So if you know one, um, <laughs> I'm trying to do it by myself once again, like I do. But um, if you want to support the book, just go to AmericanPrivilegeBook.com. And all I'm trying to do is I'm not asking for donations. Actually, I'm asking for people to pre-order the book. Um, I'm just using the Indiegogo platform. So you're actually buying the book and so that I can estimate the demand and it will help me figure out how quickly we need to, to get production going. And so. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we're supporting you every step of the way and, and can't wait to read it. Um, yeah. And have you back on when you launch it, you have to come back on and promote yeah. it. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Gosh. Thank you for having me. 
This has been great. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank Thank you for being on, and we'll talk again soon. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye.